Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors in over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. U.S. Representative Mike Turner urges the U.S. stand strong against China. They're trying to uh, you know, flex their muscles and advance authoritarianism. We need to stand strong. And- Senator Joe Manchin mulling over running in 2024 as a third-party candidate. There is a middle. There's more people in the silent majority of the middle. OPEC will reduce its oil output by another 1 million barrels a day. Saudi Arabia is doubling down. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast, your first look at today's top stories for Monday, June 5th. I'm Mike Scott. Republican Representative Mike Turner of Ohio raised the alarm over China's continued military hostility and insisted that America stand strong after recent close calls near American ships and planes and the suspected spy balloon that was shot down off the East Coast. What we're seeing is an unbelievable aggression by China. If you look at the balloon that flew over the United States, the Chinese police stations, the aggressiveness against our uh, both planes and ships and international water, it goes right to the heart of what President Xi said uh, when he stood next to Putin in Russia, where he said they're trying to, to make change that had not happened in 100 years. Well, that change is the, you know, 100 years ago, World War I, World War II, that was about democracy versus authoritarianism. Uh, they're trying to um, you know, flex their muscles and advance authoritarianism. We need to stand strong, and certainly this administration needs to stand, stand strong. Turner says that the White House response to China leaves much to be desired. Well, I think it needs it means calling them out. I mean, th- this is unacceptable. And and when you have, for example, a balloon that transits all across the United States, and the administration doesn't. Uh, respond until the game's over, until it's over at the uh, Atlantic. You you start, and when you have police stations that have been operating within the United States that took forever in order for them to, to take action, you get this sort of sense of permissiveness that I think the administration needs to step up and make clear um, that China has identified itself as an adversary and we're going to treat it as such. Looking at North Korea, Turner says that the U.S. has to start building our defenses because deterrence will not work on North Korea. Right now, North Korea has nuclear weapons capability to be able to hit the United States, to be able to hit New York City itself. Uh, with respect to North Korea, obviously the, the concept of deterrence, we have weapons, they have weapons, is dead. Uh, we need to go to deterrence plus defense. That means an aggressive missile defense system. Uh, we have an opportunity um, at Fort Drum that Lee Stefanik has been, been active to try to get built out, a missile defense system that would help to protect New York, New York City. We need to build out that system, and we need to hold China accountable for North Korea. It all comes as relations between Washington and Beijing have become frayed over issues including Taiwan, trade, and Russia's invasion of Ukraine. U.S. officials believe that China has been engaging in an increasing campaign of harassment, including two recent incidents in the last few days between U.S. and Chinese planes 
and ships. While in Singapore, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin reaffirmed a commitment to the Indo-Pacific region and called for more communication after being refused a sit-down with his Chinese counterpart. It's a vision of a region in which all countries are free to thrive on their own terms without coercion or intimidation or bullying. It is a vision of a free and open and secure Indo-Pacific within a world of rules and rights. China's Central Military Commission says that the U.S. is making false statements regarding China. Republican Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas tells the Daybreak Insider that the increased aggression from China can be attributed to, in his opinion, Joe Biden begging for China's friendship. Well, Biden administration officials should stop chasing after their Chinese communist counterparts like love-struck teenagers. It's embarrassing and it's pathetic. In fact, it projects weakness to China. It encourages them to do things like buzz our aircraft or come within a few hundred yards of our ships. It encourages them to send send spy balloons floating all across America. Reducing those tariffs would send the same message. Senator Cotton says the only way to deter China is with a strong military. The single best way we can deter China and Iran and Russia is to have a military capable of deterring them. That's one of the core lessons of history. If you look at, say, World War I and World War II, there were a lot of misguided diplomatic decisions that led to those wars. But fundamentally, it was disarmament by countries like Great Britain and the United States that encouraged German ambitions and then ultimately aggression. While relatives grieve openly... India's railway minister says a signaling system error led to a crash that killed over 300. We get more on this developing story from our Daybreak Insider Charles de la Desma, who has the very latest on the rail tragedy. Distraught relatives and friends gather at an identification centre in Balasore to check through piles of photos to find out if their missing loved ones were among the dead of Friday's train accident. Meanwhile, Transport Minister Ashwini Vashnau tells the New Delhi television network the train derailment that killed hundreds and injured many more was caused by an error in the electronic signalling system that led a train to wrongly change tracks. I'm Charles Diladesma. Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors in over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors in over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. 
Visit regent.edu slash learn more. On Sunday, Democrat Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia dodged questions on if he would consider a third-party presidential run, saying in an interview that he's not ruling anything in, not ruling anything out, end quote. What the movement of no labels has done, which I think has been admirable, is basically saying there is a middle. There's more people in the silent majority of the middle that have no voice whatsoever. So they're forced to their respective corners, far left and far right. They're not comfortable there. They're showing that now there's a place in the middle. And if the middle can basically show you can't go to the left, you're not going to get elected and you're not going to govern from there. Decisions are made from the middle. That was my friend Joe Lieberman on that. A bipartisan political group, No Labels, has been increasing efforts to find a unity ticket to run as a third-party option to what polls suggest will be a rematch between President Biden and former President Donald Trump. Reports have indicated that Manchin is at the top of that list. Blind loyalty is the opposite of choice, and choice is what real democracy is all about. No Labels was formed to unite Democrats, Republicans, and independents to solve our country's biggest problems, bringing more choices to voters and more voices to the national conversation. Niall Stanage of The Hill weighs in on if a third party may have an impact on 2024. The third party movement tends to be based on uh, faulty logic, honestly, Brooke. It's the idea that if people don't like option A and don't like option B, they will love option C. There isn't actually any evidence to support that at all. Stanage goes on to say that one big problem for any third party candidate beyond ballot access is simply the fact that most Americans are liberal, conservative, or a mix of the two. So ballot access has always been a huge issue for third-party candidates. The other factor is that voters are accustomed to voting for the Democratic or Republican candidates. And the third, and I think most important, issue is that third-party candidates tend to be based on this idea that there's some sort of common-sense, non-ideological position. And that's just not really true. People admittedly think that their own views, whatever those views may be, are common sense. But they tend to be either liberal or conservative or some mix of that. The idea that there's some transcendent position that a third party candidate can land on just isn't accurate. You're, you know, liberal or conservative or some mix is, are the options available. And uh, Democratic or Republican candidates tend to draw the most votes in that regard. Manchin has not announced whether he would run for re-election in 2024. His poll numbers have recently dropped and Republican Governor Jim Justice has announced his intentions to challenge Manchin for his seat. A retired FBI National Security Intelligence Supervisor has raised the alarm about alleged actions taken by Bank of America against law-abiding gun owners. In an effort to identify potential suspects in connection with the storming of the Capitol in January of 2021 and subsequent rioting, America's second-largest bank allegedly gave the FBI its transaction records on all customers who made purchases of anything in Metro Washington, D.C. on the three days before, during, and after the convening of the Electoral College. 
Speaking with the Salem News Channel, whistleblower George Hill describes how the FBI subsequently poured through the raw data. Any Bank of America customer who went to um, who use a BOA product, whether it be a debit card or a credit card, in the Washington, D.C. area, and they date ranged it between 5 and 7 January, and they then resorted that list and then stacked on top of it anybody who was already in the list who had ever purchased a firearm. Hill describes how that data caused gun owners to be effectively profiled. If you were going pheasant hunting in South Dakota in the year 2000 and you bought a shotgun at the Walmart, you moved to the top of that list. And then they pulled from that list uh, names so with each field office, and they sent to Boston what's called a lead, and that was seven names that were sent to us, and they were it was an expectation that we would open up at least a PI preliminary investigation on those, and we pushed back. Hill tells us that the FBI has recently acknowledged it received the dragnet of data from Bank of America. Yes, Bank of America did send that list in. Bank of America has never commented on that, so... They've been caught. Um, We'll have to see what happens. Hill goes on to say that the mining of bank data to identify gun owners actually dates back to the Obama administration. That migration has been taking place ever since Janet Napolitano became Homeland Security Secretary of labeling people with whom uh, they disagree with or who vote the wrong way as violent extremists. Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors in over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors and over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. Over the weekend, Saudi Arabia announced that it will cut an additional 1 million barrels of oil a day. The Saudi energy minister, Abdulaziz bin Salman, unveiled the reduction and says that they will also include an agreement to extend voluntary cuts through 2024. As we have done in April, whereby uh, the countries that had uh, agreed to Uh, do the voluntary cuts, uh, have extended that voluntary cuts to end of 24. And uh, I would have to call it the Saudi lollipop, which is a million barrel of reduction uh, for the start that starts the 1st of July. And that million is also extendable. This comes against the backdrop of struggling oil prices and uncertain demand 
along with weak Chinese data. Bloomberg's Sue Keenan says that the newest round of cuts are taking production to its lowest level in years. The takeaway from the OPEC weekend meeting is that Saudi Arabia is doubling down after those previous cuts, which caught the market by surprise just two months ago, failed to deliver a sustained price rally. So we've got Saudi Arabia reducing output by an additional one million barrels a day beginning in July. And that's taking its production, by the way, to the lowest level in several years. Keenan explains that the announcement comes as oil prices are being impacted by even more predictions of a deeper recession. The 23-nation group gathered in Vienna at a time when oil prices have really been hammered by a number of factors, including the softer economic outlook, and that is especially so in China. So when Saudi Arabia says it's going to do whatever is necessary, it means it is taking on the burden of these deeper output cuts. The rest of the cartel offered no additional action, but did pledge to keep their existing cuts until the end of 2020. For the remainder of the current year, the only change is a second unilateral cut by Saudi Arabia, which will reduce its output by a further 1 million barrels a day for the month of July. That additional reduction could be extended for longer, although the energy minister refused to be drawn in on whether such discussion and decisions would be communicated to the market. A consumer class action lawsuit claims Delta Airlines inaccurately billed itself as the world's first carbon-neutral airline and should pay damages. We get more on this from our Daybreak Insider, Jeremy House. The complaint in federal court in California alleges the airline relied on carbon offsets that were largely bogus. Polluting companies often buy carbon credits to cancel out their emissions with projects that promise to absorb carbon dioxide out of the air or prevent pollution. They've been under increasing scrutiny amid claims that benefits are exaggerated. NBC News is announcing that Chuck Todd will be ending his role as moderator of Meet the Press. Daybreak Insider's Jackie Quinn has more on this story. Chuck Todd made the announcement at the end of this Sunday's talk show. This is going to be my final summer here at Meet the Press. It's been an amazing, nearly decade-long run. The 51-year-old says he'll vacate the chair as moderator in September, citing personal reasons. I've watched too many friends and family let work consume them before it was too late. I promised my family I wouldn't do that. Todd will be replaced by fill-in host Kristen Welker. This is always how I hoped this would end for me that I'd be passing the baton to her. Todd has faced criticism from inside and outside the industry. If you do this job seeking popularity, you are doing this job incorrectly. Welker will be the first black moderator of Meet the Press and the first woman since 1953. I'm Jackie Quinn. A pair of peregrine falcons in Chicago are attacking pedestrians whenever commuters get too close to their nest. 
Two peregrine falcons have commuters looking up and looking out. The birds of prey have made a nest at 100 South Wacker Drive on a seventh floor window ledge. The building warning people with a sign about these protective parents after a commuter was recently injured. The peregrine falcon is the official bird of the city of Chicago, and it was once on the state's endangered list. But thanks to the Chicago Peregrine Program, the city is now home to 20 breeding pairs, overseen by the Field Museum. So for a few weeks, as the Falcons raise their young, commuters beware. Chuck Velauskas was one of the commuters who took a hit from the Falcons and says that he felt like he was getting hit by a 16-inch softball and left a one-inch gash in his head. Velauskas says he now avoids the area so he won't get whacked again. According to experts, there's been at least one other person who sustained injuries from the ferocious Falcons. This commuter says he's doing his best to make sure he doesn't get hit. We actually worked in this building for years, so we used to be able to see birds nesting outside. I just want to make sure I don't get attacked. While Chicagoan Scott Irvin says that he's steering clear of the area around Chicago's Wacker Drive. If you've been close to one, they're big, and I don't need one close to me, and I'm not looking at it, so (laughs) I will keep an eye open, yes. Raptor experts say the Falcons may leave their nest in a few days or weeks as soon as their chicks learn to fly. This is Sebastian, hold a minute. I I don't want to be an alarmist. No one ever said you were. I think we're in real trouble. I don't know how this started or why, but I know it's here, and we'd be crazy to ignore it. To ignore what? The bird war? Yes, the bird war, the bird attack. Play. Call it what you like. They're massing out there someplace and they'll be back. You can count on it. Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider Podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at DaybreakInsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at SRNNews.com and Town Hall. Thanks for starting your day with us. I'm Mike Scott. Turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525.